good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. We're coming towards the end of our studies in uh, this portion of Scripture. We refer to it as the Lord's Prayer, the prayer the Lord taught His disciples. Uh, let's read again the words of that prayer as it's contained in Matthew's Gospel, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6 and the verse number 9. After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Amen. Well, we have surveyed in some detail over the last number of months the various petitions that the Lord would have his disciples to pray. This is a model, a pattern prayer. It is a prayer that in some form ought to be upon our lips every day. We have in that petition, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, The instruction that indicates this is not a prayer to be prayed every so often. It is to be the pattern prayer that really dominates the prayer lives of God's people. We know from the Word of God there are other things we can pray for. There are various matters that may come across the, uh, the prayer diary of the true believer. But in essence, this is the model pattern prayer for all who name the name of Christ. And yet, whilst we may understand more and more about what they mean, we may appreciate the, uh, the two uh, sections. We may appreciate the importance of our priorities, and we may appreciate the importance of sin. Whilst we more and more understand the meaning of the petitions, uh, we, we must again be honest. And we often pray these things with little confidence that they will actually be realized. We know from uh, those early petitions that in this prayer we are praying for souls to be saved. I often do believe that God will save souls in answer to our prayers. We may theologically say we understand that God will save souls, but do we believe that God will save souls in answer to our prayers? Do we believe that God will make those disobedient sinners obedient to do the will of God as the angels do in heaven? Do we believe that some, perhaps, in our own families can be converted from disobedience to obedience to the ways of God? Do we believe that in a day that God's name is held in such disrespect, do we believe that once more God's name will be hallowed? Again, in answer to our prayers. That's the issue. Do we believe that our prayers will actually be answered according to the prayers that we're offering in this petition? You see, what's at stake when you study the Lord's Prayer? What is at stake within our hearts? Is the presence or absence of faith? The prayers that we offer, if they are to be answered, are to be prayers of faith. 
James 1, 6. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Now before, before your sensitive consciences begin to hinder you from praying more fully, let me remind you, that we're not told the extent of our faith that is required or the size of our faith. God is pleased to answer the prayers that are the faith the size of mustard seed. There is within the Word of God great confidence that though our faith may be weak, God is still pleased to hear and answer weak faith and the prayers that come from weak faith. But however, the absence of faith entirely is certainly going to lead to an absence of answers to prayer. We must pray in faith. And I believe that is the context of this closing doxology. For at the close of the Lord's Prayer, we have the words of verse 13b, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It is a doxology that is an expression of faith. It is the Lord telling his disciples, when you pray, make sure you remember these things. These things will help your faith. These things will help you to say amen and to pray these prayers with faith. And if we are to pray in faith, it will not because we stir up within ourselves some good feelings, but rather if we are to pray in faith, it is because we have the best thoughts of God and the right thoughts of God, that our minds will be rightly informed regarding who God is, so that our hearts would then pray those prayers of faith. Faith is not blind it is faith that is conditioned upon the character of God, his ways and his works. And faith always finds its source in God himself. And so what you see in this closing doxology is a, a review of the character of God in his relationship to this world. You see God's sovereignty, and you see God's ability, and you see God's glory. So let's look at those three things. You see God's sovereignty, for thine is the kingdom. It is an expression of God's reign. He is the king of all things. He rules over all things. And when it comes to the matter of prayers, it is vital that we remind ourselves continually, daily, thine is the kingdom. When it comes to praying these prayers, we must remind ourselves that nothing can hinder God in the doing of his will. There's nothing can thwart God from answering these prayers according to his eternal purpose. God is sovereign over Satan. God is sovereign over the spirits. God is even sovereign over sin. And those things that we may, we may bring into our minds and say, well, this prayer cannot be answered because of Satan or the spirits or sin. None of those things can hinder God from doing his will. And therefore we have confidence that God reigns over all things. You take God's sovereignty over Satan. Uh, you can never uh, go far from the book of Job when you think about the sovereignty of God over Satan. In the verse 12 of chapter 1, the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. And there is God. 
in sovereign command over Satan. And whilst God in his wise and sovereign providence allows Satan to afflict Job's property and his family, yet Satan is the dog upon God's leash. And Satan cannot do more than he's given permission to by God. And in the area of the work of God in redemption, we remind ourselves continually that Christ reigns over Satan. Turn to Mark chapter 3, please. Turn to Mark chapter 3. We notice these things on the Lord's Day morning regarding Christ as the reigning Davidic king. Um, we noted uh, that in his reign, all power was given unto him. His is the kingdom. And you have here in Mark chapter 3, just uh, the gospel, uh, the gospel treatment of the Lord's sovereignty over Satan. They're accusing, they're accusing the Lord that he is doing his works by the power of devil. Verse 22, by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. He hath Beelzebub. And the Lord, of course, brings, he brings this word of logic. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And then the verse number 27. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. The sovereignty of Christ over Satan. That the strong man is bound. And your minds, of course, will go to Revelation chapter 20, that Satan is bound from deceiving the nations. And thus there is the certainty of gospel progress. You pray. Thine is the kingdom. And a reminder that Christ and God, they, they rule over Satan, and Satan cannot hinder the salvation of souls. It's impossible. We have discouragement. We fear. We're, we're praying, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And we see this world seemingly in the grip of the evil one. And we wonder, how can souls ever be liberated from Satan's grasp? Well, here we know how. Because Christ is sovereign over Satan. And therefore we can pray these prayers. Satan is impotent to prevent the salvation of any one of God's elect. Satan cannot prevent, cannot cause the eternal destruction of one of God's elect. God is sovereign over Satan. But we may say, well, surely, surely man's sin will cause our prayers to be unheard. Surely the sin of this world, the sin in the operational society, how can our prayers be heard in that context? We're praying for God's will to be done. Even at the same time as politicians are pushing an agenda that would be against the will of God, surely man's sin is going to hinder the progress of the gospel in this world. And of course, you know, that's not the case. You think of how God is able to even use sin to bring about his eternal purposes. It is through the sin of Joseph's brothers that Joseph goes to Egypt and becomes the savior of the world. It is actually the sin of the brothers that brings that to pass because God meant it for good. But of course, the great example of God using sin is, is the cross of Christ. As wicked men 
took the Lord and crucified and slew him upon the tree. He was in Acts, 20, Acts 2 verse 23, he was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. God is not hindered even by the sins of the most wicked. And so we pray, thine is the kingdom. You see, please turn back to Daniel chapter 4. And Daniel chapter 4, just to encourage you, as we think about the sovereignty of God in terms of our prayer lives, I remind you of the event in Nebuchadnezzar's life. He had this horrible dream, a dream that he himself was going to be the fulfillment of. We know what happens. He was driven from men, verse 33. He eats grass, his oxen, his body is wet with the dew of heaven. We understand that he became, you know, in a desperate condition as God humbles Nebuchadnezzar. But he humbles him in light of his words in verse number 30 of Daniel 4. Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? I don't think you should miss the point. That in verse number 30, Nebuchadnezzar is saying, Mine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Do you see that there? Here's Nebuchadnezzar claiming, in essence, to have divine attributes and divine glory and divine power. I have built this house, the house of the kingdom, by the might of my power, for the honor of my majesty. Nebuchadnezzar says, I have the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And so God humbles him. And he is humbled to the point that he comes to confess God in verse number 34. He lifts up his eyes unto heaven. He blesses the Most High and praises and honors God that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And listen, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the arm of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? The sovereignty of God. Nothing can hinder God from doing his will in answer to our prayers. Nothing. No force, no power in heaven or on earth can prevent God from doing his will. And God has told us, pray this. Is that not the language of Matthew chapter 6? After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We're thinking here about the salvation of sinners. We're thinking about the work of the gospel across the world. And the Lord Jesus tells us, pray this. Is he telling us to do this to, to mock us? That we would come to the end of our days and review our life and say none of our prayers were answered? No, he is telling us to pray this because it is his eternal purpose that he will do his will and answer to our prayers and nothing can thwart or hinder God. None can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? What a truth it is as we close our prayers to say, Thine is the kingdom. And we see God's sovereignty as a strengthening of our faith. We see in the second place God's ability. Thine is the kingdom and the power. You know that there are these two main words for power in the New Testament Scriptures, one that speaks of authority and one that speaks of strength. 
Hear the word is the one that indicates strength. Having thought about God's authority, thine is the kingdom, the Lord then tells us to remind ourselves of God's ability. Promises. We we can fail to keep our promises sometimes due to a lack of foresight. We may not see hindrances that are around the corner. We may see we, we will do something, but it comes to the point, and we're hindered from doing our promises. But we may also be hindered in keeping our promises due to a lack of ability, a lack of resources, a lack of power and strength. But God is the God who is infinite in power and thus is able to execute his will in answer to our prayers. There is nothing deficient in God that would prevent him answering prayers. We've thought about nothing external to God hindering him answering our prayers. And now we're saying, well, there's nothing, there's no deficiencies within the Godhead that would hinder answers to our prayers. You turn back to uh, the Psalm 77, for in that Psalm we see, we see the honest reflection of Asaph as he succumbs to unbelief. We're looking at the importance of praying in faith. Well, here we see a believer who succumbs to unbelief. In verse number 10, he says, this is my infirmity. And what is that infirmity? Well, he's wondering where God is. Verse 7, will the Lord cast off forever? Will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Does his promise feel forevermore? These are questions that are questions arising out of a heart that is afflicted with unbelief. True believers, true believers can come to this point in their lives. And they wonder, where is God? But the psalmist recognizes that this is a description of weakness and infirmity. The child of God should not succumb to unbelief. But what is the remedy to his unbelief? He remembers the works of the Lord. Meditates of God's work and talks of God's doings. And then verse number 14, or verse 13. Who is so great thy God as our God? Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared, listen, thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph Selah. What is it that encourages the psalmist in the battle with unbelief? It is a reminder of God's absolute power and absolute strength. And that is a recurrent theme in the prayers of God's people. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Genesis chapter 18. In terms of the unbelief of Abraham and Sarah regarding the prison of a son, there was nothing too hard for the Lord. That which seemed impossible was not impossible to God. And so you turn to Jeremiah 32. And in Jeremiah 32 we have, again, the prayer of Jeremiah. He prays unto the Lord. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. And the verse number 27, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? We refresh ourselves in a reminder of, of God's power and God's ability. 
Daniel chapter 9, we find Daniel, as he is contemplating the promises of God, God is certainly going to bring the people back. He has said so in his word, 70 years, and God will bring it to pass. And so Daniel gets to pray, and as he prays, he comes to the, to, if you like, the, the hinge of his prayer in verse number 15. And now, O Lord our God, thou hast brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. And it is a reflection upon God's power that, that then drives him to go forward in the following verses to pray for God's intervention. Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant. Incline thine ear. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. There's a conscious awareness that though the answer to prayer seems impossible, God is able to answer those prayers. I don't know, I don't know how you're finding your prayer life right now, but I would imagine that if we were to pray this prayer daily, and the Lord tells us to end this daily prayer with these things, then I suspect it is a continually recurrent trouble to the people of God to remind themselves that God is able to answer prayer. And as the Old Testament people of God, they reflected upon the two great events of creation and redemption from Egypt. So we reflect upon the great truths of creation and Christ's work of redemption as he rose again from the grave. You see, you turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Because it is the part of God that encourages us that God is able to hear the prayers, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Oh, who, who can save the soul of man? Who can save the rich man? It's hard for the rich man to enter the kingdom. Who then can be saved? Say the disciples with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And it's possible because of Ephesians chapter 1 and the verse number 19. Paul is praying that they would know the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, we believe according to the working of his mighty power, that power which he wrought when Christ was raised from the dead. How can sinners be saved? Because the power of God is able to create faith in the heart of the hardened sinner. God is able to save souls, and God is able to glorify saints. Paul would have that trial in Romans chapter 7. Who shall deliver me? He would find himself pondering all of the sin within himself. You think of the believers and all their troubles and persecution. And Peter's voice would come to their ears, kept by the power of God. You see, we remind ourselves in all of our prayers, what hope do we have? That we will not be led into the power of temptation? What hope do we have that we will be delivered from the evil one? Well, it is that God is able to answer those prayers. So we have the encouragement of God's sovereignty and the encouragement of God's ability. And finally, we have the encouragement of God's glory. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. All things, all things will work out for his glory. These prayers will be answered because they are for the glory of God. God has made all things for his glory. Proverbs chapter 16 and the verse number 4, The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked, for the day of evil. 
Everything in this world is made so that God would have all the glory. Revelation chapter 4 in the verse number 10, Thou art worthy, verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. All of creation is made to bring glory to God and to His name, to display His attributes, His worth, and His majesty. God's glory, of course, we know cannot be added to, but it can be displayed. And if we say that man's chief end is to glorify God, we do so because God's chief end is to glorify God. God's great purpose in this world is to glorify His own name. And of course, His name is glorified in various ways, but in light of these petitions... We could say that God is glorified by saving his people, by supplying his people, and by sanctifying his people. It's a summary of these prayers. God is glorified as he saves his elect. He's glorified by supplying their needs. He's glorified by sanctifying them and bringing them into the eternal kingdom. And thus, when we pray for these things with the aim of God's glory, God's aim and our aim come together and prayers answered. We are to pray all of our prayers with an eye to the glory of God's name, not to our comfort, not to our benefit or the, 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 the benefit of a denomination. We are to pray for the glory of God. And when we do so, in light of the eternal purpose of God, God, thine is the glory, then as the motive of our prayers are aligned to the eternal purpose of God, then there's a certainty of our prayers being answered. God is guaranteed to glorify his own name. I love the, the words of John chapter 12. Christ expressing a troubled soul, Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people therefore that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. They heard the very voice of God saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again in the sovereign work of redemption. Christ came into this world to save his people from their sins, and in so doing, he came to glorify the name of God. And so as we then think about the prayers of being answered, we have the assurance that because God's purpose is to glorify His name. We have the assurance of those prayers being answered. And may God help us to be strong in faith in light of these things. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week you will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170. That's 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc 
at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.